And guess what, Dre? This guy, I, I don't want to say I discovered him because he's, uh, I discovered him for myself. How's that? I saw this cat when I was in uh, LA and it was like in between my tour, right? And I just wanted to do like an open mic at like some, like, you know, like, a, like an open mic in a, in a weird bar. I, don't, I forgot where it was, but it was far. And my friend bought, brought me there. There's like a pool table in the middle of this place, everyone's sitting around the pool table and there's a stage to the right. It's the most awkward setting you could possibly think of, right? You don't want to go up. And then Mateo goes up and my mouth drops. Yeah. I'm like, this guy is fucking funny. And, um, and then he leaves. I just remember him vanishing. I'm just like, whoa, that was cool. <laughs> he just walked by me. Kind of walked right past me, and I was so mad at myself that I didn't get his name. I remember I was going to get his name, but I don't know what happened. I was talking to somebody, and then you just vanished. I thought you were going to be there for the remainder of the night. I was going to talk to you, and then, uh, and then all of a sudden, about I see about six months later, Mateo, your your uh, your Netflix special came on, where you're, you know, it's like a bunch of it was like a bunch of comics on the same special, and there he was. <laughs> the guy I saw at the shitty bar. <laughs> and I go, that's his name, Mateo. <laughs> and then I reached out to you and, and I told you how funny you were. And, uh, and, uh, and I told you I would love to work with you someday because you're just that amazing, man. So uh, I can't wait for, uh, well, I mean, things are already taken off for you already, but I'm just saying, I can't wait for you to be like household because you're, you're that close. You're, you're amazing. I mean, you're so, so nice. You that You've been so nice to me. I'm like shocked. I'm like, okay, well, a very famous, talented comedian is saying all these nice things to me. So <laughs> I don't know. You know how to like accept that. So I'm just like, uh, thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> my instinct yeah, as a Catholic you know is to apologize. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I was uh, at lunch with Joanne over at Netflix, and she was like, "Who do you who do you think is uh one of the up and coming cats?" Uh, you think real, and I said Mateo right off the bat. Aww. Mateo, man, this dude—he needs his hour. He needs his hour now. That's that nice. Good. He's yeah. Well, what we can we can all hope and dream. <laughs> now, nah, I you know I say this all the time. I don't believe in hope. I always take that. That word is the only word that doesn't exist in my uh, my uh, what is it? What is it? dictionary? Vocabulary. What, what do I say? How do I, what do I say, Dre? Vocabulary. There you go. In my vocabulary. Uh, obviously, vocabulary doesn't go in my vocabulary. <laughs> I, I don't like to say hope. I don't like to say hope because hope means there's room for failure. Hope means, uh, you know what, it doesn't look good, but I hope it works. No, man. Like, you're amazing, and it's coming. It's either this year or next year, but it's coming. And it's going to oh, be thanks. amazing when it does. It's, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be amazing, Mateo. I think you're so funny. One thing I don't like is you wearing tank tops and doing something like this. <laughs> yeah, and then it's just an automatic flex. You don't need that. Don't do that around two old dudes. You don't need that. <laughs> I do. I I'm gay. That. I need it. If I don't have it, I'll, I'll, I won't survive. It's a different, different landscape I don't, I don't, for us. <laughs> I, I was so mad when uh, 
Dre, when, when Mateo goes, I don't know. And then fucking started, he was like, I don't know. And it was just definition. Oh, <laughs> I don't, don't like that. For, don't think for a second that wasn't intentional, Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. He did hold his hands a little tight. They're a little tight. <laughs> like I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, guys, how is it in New York right now? New York is feeling more normal. I mean, spring is spring has sprung, and the trees are out. The weather's nice, and people are sort of living their lives in the streets again. Shows are open. I'm back at the cellar, so it's a. <laughs> It's almost like, because it's been a year, it's like, oh, did anything happen? I mean, you know, obviously mask brain, limited capacity, but truly a lot farther ahead than we were two months ago. Indoor dining? Indoor dining. And now we have like, well, we've had for the past year, like this weird outdoor dining. So there's just the mini restaurant outside the restaurant. So I guess because it's not technically inside the restaurant, that even though it's indoors, but on the street, it's not indoors. So it's outdoor. Yeah. All of it doesn't make any sense. But everywhere you yeah, go in New York, there's just like sense. a weird makeshift like elf village outside of a restaurant that people eat in. Pods. People are eating in pods. Yeah. You know, a lot of people wanted to know how New York was doing because, you know, that's that's the city. That's the city the world visits. You know what I mean? And and when it got shut down, no one knew what was going on. Like, I just heard that it was... Uh, you know, cause I got friends that live there, uh, that it's just not the same anymore or don't come. They would always go, don't come here. Don't come here. <laughs> Was it that bad? Was it really that bad? Uh, I would say that in, it was sort of in stages. So first when it happened, the whole city was just, I mean, it was empty. And I remember seeing those photos because at the time I was living in the Upper East Side. So it was like me and everyone else was in their early hundreds. So they didn't, they've already been living in a quarantine, but, um, when it happened, all those photos of empty Midtown. So I went and walked through Midtown because I was like, I just have to experience what this looks like. And I'm sure you have both been to New York and you've been by Times Square empty as the only one on the street, completely empty. And um, did you take pictures being in there in that eerie, weird look? No, I'm shockingly one of those gays. I don't take a lot of pictures. I don't know why I'm like, you the pictures. Oh. Ah, well, there's there's better photographers who did it, you know. That's on, that's on NBC. Go to you know my what is my shitty picture gonna do? Because you know, <laughs> it's just gonna be a bodega that no one's inside stealing. All right, you know I'd rather see these like sort of epic photos where it's like a cloudy day and there's one UPS guy in a on a street than my shitty ass photo of like deli grocery. Yeah, that but um, it was I will say like New York last summer. Yeah, I'm sure there were there were a lot of um, there's just a, it was a lot of change in the sense that all the rich people left and then all the rich kids left. And so the city was just New Yorkers and the people who had intention to be here. Um, the, the Chelsea and Hell's Kitchen, I think, had a lot of issues. But I live in the village and I just hung out at the cell every day and sort of it was very neighborhoody and very New Yorky. And I had a nice summer last summer. Really, I would say it was a yeah. I would say the first time uh, as a New Yorker, you know, like I was talking to my friends who live in Italy, and my friend uh, Francesco Francesco Di Carlo, a great comedian in Italy, said it was the first time Italy finally had Italy back to itself. Obviously, the amount of death doesn't warrant that kind of like this is so great, but just saying as a fact, it's strange to sort of be in a city with <laughs> with a city that it's meant to be with the people in it, not yeah. German tourists like where can I get up, you know. 
Yeah. So do you, is it, is it starting to thrive again or people starting to come back to New York? And oh, visit? yeah, it's, there's a, there's, well, I also live in the village, so it's always kind of bumping. Like there's always like Euro trash driving down the street, revving their engines and, yeah. you know, eating at the crepe place. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it feels, feels definitely more alive than it did yeah. a year ago. But I think it's just because everything's opening back up. So people are excited to like enjoy the city again. Yeah, good. Well, all right. That's enough of that. I don't want you to be the ambassador of New York. That's not what this pod is all about. So how's New York, Mateo? I want to know. <laughs> the world wants to know how New York is. And I got just the guy to tell us. Yeah. Um, um, one thing people don't know about Mateo, and if you do know Mateo, uh, then you know. But, yo, your graphic designing and your character work and your cart your, your cartoon drawings are fucking unreal, bro. Is that what you wanted to do first or was it stand-up? Uh, it's what I did for a long time. I used to be a fashion illustrator and storyboard artist for TV commercials for years. I went to School of the Art Institute of Chicago, studied painting and drawing. I lived in Italy painting and then I got a job illustrating commercials and then that inevitably led me to New York. And I had just started to do open mics in Chicago. So I just started doing open mics in New York. And then I think like, a year into it, I was already put on like a couple MTV shows and doing stand-up regularly. So I just quit my day job. It was very risky, but I was like, eh, I'd rather just quit my day job and do stand-up. And so I did. So you wanted to be a comic when you moved to New York or no? Yes. When I moved to New York, because I had just gotten a taste of it in Chicago, my buddy had a drawing gig for me here and was like, would you want to move to New York? You have 30 days. And in my mind, I was like, great, I'll use this as an excuse to pay for rent. And then at night, I'll just do open mics. And I did. I mean, it really, it truly worked out the way I kind of planned it. That's crazy. And then you landed a couple gigs like right in that first year that you were there. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I got Montreal. So my very first That's year auditioning. Fuck? <laughs> I, know. Dude. I know <laughs> took me 13 years to get montreal i was to be fair i mean i think that there's it's always better to wait i that being said i had a good experience with montreal but i looking back i was only a year and a couple months into stand-up when i got it so i mean it really montreal new faces yeah you got new faces what yeah. That's amazing. That's very impressive. I will say this. It wasn't 13. I was 13 years into my career, but it took me three and a half years to get in. Mm. It kept passing on me, passing on me, passing on me. And you get it your first fucking year in stand-up. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a fun experience. It was cool. You know, I mean, I the, the good things that came from that were I got Girl Code and Guy Code, which were these really popular MTV shows at the time. The downside of stuff like that is, you know, you can get a little bit of a swelled head and then not have the material to back it up because of lack of experience. And I just, it, it was a bigger learning curve for me to start growing and maturing as a joke writer um, when I went after Montreal than had I just waited and got it three years later. I mean, it all sort of evened out and I'm happy with how it went down, but it can be getting things too early can also just not be good for you. Yeah, I say I say that too, man. Sometimes uh, 
yeah, when you get stuff a little early, you're not prepared for the big wave. And, uh, but you held up well, shit. Like how many, how many years has it been since then? Now I think I'm almost on, I've been doing stand up for nine years. That's nice. Yeah. So I feel very comfortable in my voice and my writing. Yeah. Isn't that crazy when you finally find that? It's crazy, right? I remember when I first started stand-up and this guy, this one comic, he goes, yeah, man, you got about 10 years to find your voice. And I was like, who's this fucking guy? I'm going to find it tomorrow. <laughs> find that voice tomorrow. You're just mad that I killed tonight. That was my attitude. And then about 11 years in, I'm like, oh, this is what he meant. <laughs> well, I think sometimes when you're like, I think sometimes, you know, for example, being gay, right? So I think doing stand-up, people were sort of impressed that I had a quote-unquote voice early on, but I think a lot of that also comes with having to rationalize and deal with who I was as a young child and, you know, basically being an observer since I was six. So I was a little ahead of the game in that sense, but that doesn't mean that I'm a great joke writer yet. It just means that I'm comfortable on stage. So, you know, you kind of have to sort of, like some people can be great joke writers, but they don't particularly have a voice. They don't know who they are. Who are they presenting? What are they presenting? What are they exporting? So I guess everyone has their own way of going about things. But generally speaking, I think if you talk to either people of color or gay people, queer people, generally speaking, you know, we all seem to have a little bit more self-awareness of who we are and the things we want to talk about because Again, we're a little bit more on the outside of society and we just are already observing more. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say that, that, that you made a great point that it, if you have to spend your whole existence exploring who you are, especially starting from a kid, if you're any kind of minority, any minority group, um, it lends to like finding your voice early for sure. That makes a, right. lot, of, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. I never looked at it that way. Oh. No. Yeah. It's it's one thing that annoys me too is when people go, Hey man, why do you talk about your your mom? And I'm like, because no one in fucking America is. Mm -hmm. Have you ever felt that feeling before of being not represented, being able to change every channel on the TV and not ever, ever hear your fucking voice? Do you know how lonely that is not to have an identity or a voice representing you? Like, I don't understand why people are so quick to say that as if it doesn't mean anything. You know, it's like, and well, it's usually from a person that dominates. It's like, you know, it's sure. like a white person. It's like, hey, motherfucker, <laughs> every show is white. You have a voice uh -huh. in everything. I think it's two things. I mean, one, I didn't see gay people growing up. I mean, besides At like all. Jaf Jafar or like C-3PO. But, um, you know, I think the other thing too is like, if the standard, and this is in giant quotations, if the standard of a certain art form, so let's, this is stand-up comedy, <clears throat> was quote-unquote created by white dudes who are straight, then anything else that's not that, no matter how long it's been going on, is not has to live up to this quote-unquote standard. So they have made the rules. They can do whatever they want. They can say what they want. If you're a woman, if you're Black, if you're Asian, if you're gay, if you're whatever, we always have to sort of wrestle with this idea of how much, like I'm sure both of you have, where you get on stage and you think, okay, how much am I going to talk about being gay tonight? Or how much am I going to talk about that? And you're just, you're just trying to rationalize with a standard that doesn't apply to you. So I've gotten on stage now and I'm like, I don't care. Like if I, 
Look, if people are like, oh, his material is too gay. Well, you know what's crazy? <laughs> I'm really gay. And I'm not putting, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I yeah. like Streisand. I like anal. I like drag queens. I like, like, I, you know what? Like, this is just the life that I live. And, and I think the, I think the longer people sort of go about and realizing that whatever people talk about on stage is okay then we can have an easier time accepting other comics and not judging them for talking too much this or too much that. It's like, no, nah, I'm just sort of living my life and chatting about it. Yeah, but what is too much? I don't understand that. Like, I don't get it. It's like, hey, man, we're allowed to talk about whatever we want. And it's funny as funny, dude. Like, when I hear your stories, I just laugh. Like, they're all <laughs> yeah. funny stories, no matter what you're talking about. And if you're going to sit there and act like you can't relate to it, that's that's another thing that annoys the shit out of me. When people go, oh, I don't get it. I just, I'm not gay, so I don't get it. Well, what the fuck are you talking about, bro? <laughs> what are you talking about? What does gay have to do with anything? You know what it is. Right. You know, you can relate to it. Don't right, act like because right. you're straight, you don't like anal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. 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 That has nothing to do with gay. I know. I know I it's, just, it's annoying. It's, Maybe it's getting better. It's getting, yeah, it I getting would better. say from 10 years of doing stand up to like from then to now, audiences have really come around. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously when I go on the road, it's all a bunch of, it's a more queer oriented audiences. But in the city, when I'm performing every night, they're just whoever, Joe Schmo coming and buying a ticket and wanting to see comedy. And I'm, I feel accepted. I feel, yeah. I mean, I get moments actually in Arizona this weekend. It was hysterical. This guy in the front rows with his wife, I walk on stage and said something about being gay. And he goes, what? And I looked and I said, oh, I was like, do, do you not like gay people? He goes, no. I said, oh, and I said, because usually women like gay. So I looked at his wife. I was like, do you like gay people? And she goes, uh, I, said, what? Uh, I was like, all right. I was like, you guys probably want to go. And then he, he left. And, but as he was leaving, I was like, you got to do some research. I mean, that's like buying a ticket to see star Wars and five minutes in being like, I hate space. Like you just can't <laughs> function this way. Wow. That's crazy. You experienced that. Yeah. I get that a bunch. You know, there's people who I'm also, I'd also rather be told the truth. You know, if you don't like gay people and that's why you're leaving, then just say that. I don't like the, I have to go. This is what we thought. There's everyone trying to tiptoe around. I'm like, just say what you think. And then we, I can at least respect you for that yeah. <laughs> instead of lying. So at least he said wow. his truth. Yeah. Well, that's very ignorant. That sucks. That mm-hmm. That's around still. Um, that's a weird thing to have. Go ahead, Andre. No, I was just saying it's a weird thing to have to, to buy. I assume... They knew you were on the like you were on the marquee and all that stuff, right? Like they knew. And I could not look gayer. It's they a giant picture of this what face. Going to. Right. The audience was all gay. I was like, "What about this face?" Makes you think like I'm talking pussy tonight. Like, no, <laughs> I'm clearly going to be talking about the British Bake Off. Like, I don't know what you think I'm That's doing funny. up here. Yeah, man. That's right. so funny. There's a human rainbow inside this venue. <laughs> <laughs> and an actual rainbow. So an actual rainbow. Really... <laughs> you know what you should yeah. do, Mateo? You should make a cartoon. I did, I have. I made one with Bob the Drag Queen. We're actually um we actually just sold it. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. Are you allowed We're to talk about out. it? 
Um, I don't actually know if we can or can't, but uh, we. I'll just say this. We have an Instagram account called Kick-Ass Drag Queen. I did all the drawings. Bob did all the writing and we created it together. And it's a drag queen superhero. That's funny. That's funny, dude. And you, yeah. and you told it. Hopefully it'll get picked up, man. I mean, you yeah, it. I mean, fingers, fingers crossed, you know, it's a whole process. You yeah. know, TV land. <laughs> Nothing's did ever fast hope? and nothing I ever works. I take that back. Did I say hope? Yes, you did. Fuck, <laughs> I take that back. I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> okay, work. I'm going to live by that mantra. Yeah, man. Take it back. Even if you accidentally say it like I did, take it back right away. It'll be on. <laughs> I'm trying to get my uh, my cartoon on it as well. It's hard, dude. It's that's the when you see cartoons and animation on on TV, you people need to bow down and respect because it is hard. It's all. Hard. It, I mean, man. luckily, luckily, I'm able to. I did like 500 drawings. We get characters back. You know, like that part's easy because I don't have to explain to an artist what I see. The hard part is getting people to. You know, well, we did. We we sold it. We did. You know. Everything's hard in this business, like trying to sell an hour. You know what I mean? Like I was telling somebody like, hopefully one day, like there's a, um, an openly gay male comedian with a, with a, like a quote unquote classic standup hour that exists, you know, but I, I, there's no openly gay male comic. Who's like a household name yet. There's a bunch of super talented comics like Solomon Giorgio and Julio Torres and Joel Kim Booster and really awesome, talented people. But like, (laughs) No, none of Ellen DeGeneres' stature yet. Give me Mateo. <laughs> we'll I already see. called it. <laughs> already but called I, lo- it, I do like that there's all there's so many cool different like gay queer comics doing comedy, just like in mainstream comedy, you know. It's a I think it's exciting. It's so fun. Yeah. It's cool. It's a great time. Fortune Beamster is a friend of mine and and seeing her oh, just yeah, and she's just getting booked because she's funny, and that's how it should be. Right. Yep. Right. I, I never understood theme shows. Oh, hey, we got four gay guys. Let's uh, we're gonna call it the Rainbow Comedy Tour. <laughs> <laughs> Makes no fucking sense to me, man. There, yeah, there's I mean, also literally... a place for that, you know. Like, there's also there's definitely room for all of it, right? Because there's some Most people definitely. who totally, yeah. Like, there's. Um, Brad Lokley, who's a friend of mine, is a really funny comic, and he performs, I would say, uh, mainly in in gay circuits. You know what I mean? In other words, like he's he's doing cruises and this and that. And he's just so funny and talented. Like, there's definitely space for all of it. But I personally, I would like to. I don't know. I, I guess whatever appeals to you as a comic. I'm trying not to put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> you know, you look into a room, and and you 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 know for a fact. There's every, every human is in there who's being represented when you look into a room. And to sit there and act like it's not is weird to me. It's like you can look into a room of 2,000 people and go, ah, there's a lot of gay people here tonight. There's a lot of Asians <laughs> here tonight. There's a lot of black people here tonight. So right. everyone's going to kill tonight. You know? Right. And, and that's how you get it. We need to start looking at things like that. Because I came up during a time where you know, when they knew that I was talking about my mom, I could only do the Asian themed shows. They wouldn't, right. they wouldn't put me on anything else. And it used to like, I get mad, but then I was like happy because at least I'm at the laugh factory. Right. Like, you know, I get that a hundred percent where you're, and it, again, it's a struggle between us because 
you're not saying you're ashamed of being Asian and I'm not saying I'm ashamed of being gay, but it's also, is it, you start to feel bad for wanting what everyone, like, I, I want to do shows, but I don't want to only just do this one thing. I want to, I want my humor to be for everybody. And, yes. you know, it's a weird, it's a very weird thing to go back and forth because you feel almost self-hating sometimes, but you know, you're trying to, to transcend that. Yeah. And, you know, I think people I'm, I'm, I've definitely dealt with a lot of internalized homophobia and I think some people can either be really turned off by it or turned on by it. But I, again, the things that I think like, uh, I don't know, like a Jerry Seinfeld doesn't understand or have to deal with. Right. It's like, yeah. there's no dual persona. There's no box they're putting him in. There's no, it just is. Yeah. So we're always like, Am I too much this? I don't know what I'm, am I disappointing my community? Am I, it's like, ah, we're just so. You're, you're always always also feeling like you have this obligation to whatever community or group you, you belong to, to represent and keep that representation strong. But what I I think what people from the outside looking in don't get is that that is the representation. The, the, the fact that you want to, that you want to transcend that and represent across the, across the board. Yep. Is, is the actual representation and you have to right. and sometimes you have to take the bullet for it you know what i mean like sometimes all the time because <laughs> you know if if i'm the only gay guy that someone sees doing stand-up right on a show then i am the only gay like and they're going to be like well i don't talk like that i don't look like that i don't share that's it you don't represent me and it's like <laughs> i'm not trying to i'm just trying to be myself like yeah. it's just so it's so frustrating. But you know what's annoying about that, Mateo, is that when they say stuff like that, because they do, they do say that. What you're saying right there is not an exaggeration of how people react. That's literally how they act. And what, what I hate about that is you don't have any gay friends. You don't work with gay people. You don't have friends that talk like that. Like You're literally saying you've never heard this before until tonight, this guy on stage. That's how you're right. acting. Which and would to, be, right. to me, you're like you're lying because you, to sit there and act like this guy on stage doesn't relate to you is a lie because it does relate to you. Everyone has right. gay friends. I have black friends. I have Asian friends. I got Asian friends with accents. I got Asian guys that have country accents. I got I got black guys that that uh, rap. I got black guys that act. I got I got I got Mexican guys from Mexico. I got. Like I got every color, every demo you can think of. So to sit there and act like it doesn't relate to you, you're full of shit. I know. Did, that, did I, know, I come out right or did I come out wrong? No, no and it if, came out, yeah. And if you can't relate in any way, then maybe you should live a little more. <laughs> well, I think too, like some sometimes I, I think of it as like, yes, comedy, it's net comedy is one are one of the few art forms where Yes, audiences are required. <laughs> I mean, you need the laughter in order to create the comedy. That also being said, there is sometimes a narcissistic point of view of the audience member to assume that the material we've written has to relate to them or has to wow. somehow go with their beliefs. And it's like, well, that's not what art is. I mean, people don't go argue with a painting. They talk to each other about the painting. Right. So, you know, if it were an artist, we should be smart. We should always be two steps ahead of what's happening culturally and try and comment it for the present. We're flawed. Things are hard. But it's weird that audience members, we've all had this experience where they're offended by something you say because we didn't have that person in mind when writing the joke. And it's like, but that's just not what art is. I mean, obviously, it's more nuanced than that. But in a really general way, 
you know, my experience in my life is the only thing that I can really filter to you. So, you know, please, and I'm not talking about ignorance or saying like, like the N word or something like that. I'm not talking about stuff that's like blatantly wrong. I'm just talking about people being like, why don't you talk about this? I'm this. Why? Aren't? It's like, what? I didn't yeah. have you in mind. I don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And as easy as it is for you to say that is, it's just as easy to go, why don't you learn about this? It's that easy. Why, why is it so hard for you to learn about this? My culture, yeah. my, my, right. my people, my lifestyle, what I do. People right. don't want to learn that shit. They don't want to learn about oh, it. People are so lazy. Crazy. Yeah, they're lazy. You know why it's lazy? Because I can get understand, I can understand getting away with that shit in the 70s and 80s and early 90s. But Google, you can Google anything in five seconds on your phone, man. What is gay? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> or even bigger, what is comedy? I think what? sometimes people <laughs> who don't even know what stand-up is no. are suddenly the biggest critiques. I'm like, I would the people who critique stand-up comedians, I'd be like, well, who's your favorite stand-up comedian? Because I promise you, there's no stand-up comedian who's not said one flawed thing their entire life. Exactly, bro. Exactly. Don't ever critique a stand-up comic unless, and I won't even say unless you're a comic. We're entitled to our own opinion and our own style. You know, I consider this art form to be multi-genre. Right, yeah. <laughs> we have so many different genres, bro. You know, there's, there's comics that have puppets. There's comics that talk about certain things. There's political. There's singers. There's whatever. It's not right. all for you, and we're not all the same. And if you don't like it, find another comic. Right. Um, yeah, man. You're, you're a beautiful guy, man. You're oh so, my thank you i'll put that on my grinder profile I, <laughs> I want you to i really do man you're you're so uh you're so likable you're so funny i love i love what you talk about I, I just love your delivery i love your stage presence i love everything about you man i think you're just i can't wait for that hour bro and I, uh, i'm telling you not to like you know i feel like we're just like in an la brunch right now where everyone's congrats you're amazing congrats they're congratulating the waiter but I, it, it does mean a lot, you know, to me, the first form of currency in this business is the respect of your peers. And, you know, when you start in standup and you're doing open mics and you get that one comic you respect in the back to laugh, that's more memorable than your first paycheck, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, that was our first form of currency. So to hear you say that those things about me, not to blow smoke up anybody's ass, but like you're very talented and very successful and so times that I am feeling very down on myself and that I'm not going to, that this is very hard, uh, it is a huge boost of confidence. And even during the pandemic, you messaging me, if you need anything, let me know. If you And it, all that it does is one, obviously in a narcissistic way, remind me I'm talented, but two, if I get to your place, right? Like you're where you are in your career, then I will know to also treat comics that I see coming up the same way. It's a very positive, wonderful way of uh, being. Oh, 100%. By the way, I don't, I don't compliment every comic, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you, would, you wouldn't be a comic if you did. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's the ones that I really like admire, man, and, and inspired by. Like, I get inspired by you. Like, I, you know, I see how you, you get down on stage and I'm like, okay, uh, I gotta step it up. I gotta step it up. <laughs> yeah, no, I like you know what I mean. Everyone, every guy, every guy has that. You know, we that's how we are. We're just 
Right. You know, you, you right. see something that inspires you and I'm like, okay, all right. I gotta, I gotta start uh, stepping it up. I gotta get some, uh, yeah. I gotta write some more shit. Got You know, so I like that. <laughs> I, I like watching guys that are like, like you there's there, I, you know, I got, I got a handful of uh, comics. That I just, I love to like, you know, reach out to and tell them just how good they are because you guys are just so good. Um, oh, thanks. That means the world. I can't wait for your hour, man. I really can't. And then we got to make this happen. Same. Well, you know, what's funny is I just went back on the road and I have a brand new half hour that I built the past year from doing all these outdoor shows and putting that together, mixing that with my old hour. So now everything is like this bigger, better form of my hour. And, but it's also this weird time of like, all right. Like everything is just so weird right now. Like yeah. how would I even go about selling that or talking to, you know, it's like, there's just, we're coming through out of a pandemic and yeah. it's so weird. Everything's it so is. weird right now. It's so weird. And it's so new to everyone. No one knows what this is. We don't know yeah. uh, the outcome. So it's all, it's just so weird, man. Like every day, something new. It's just like, Oh, Johnson and Johnson just got pulled off the shelves. It's like, wait, I thought we were getting, saved by them now it's gone fuck i know so, you know what i have done for this uh that my my mentality after the pandemic has been such as the grind that i was living in before the pandemic i was so hard on myself and just pushing myself so much that i was not giving myself any time to enjoy being on stage enjoy traveling enjoy the relationships in my life that i really have just sort of slowed everything down in the sense of like I'm just gonna focus like tonight i have two spots at the cellar great and all the other stuff the cartoon the tv show i'm trying to sell the hour isn't that it'll happen if it happens right now i'm just worrying about i'm really gonna have fun on stage tonight because a year ago i was stuck in an apartment that was so small playing Fortnite every day i'm like i got I, you know yeah. really puts a perspective on it yeah appreciate the time that you have and really enjoy every moment. We, especially comics like us, we go 100 miles per hour. We don't enjoy our moments. Right. Fuck, man. Like, how many times have you done, how many, like, I think Michelle Wolf was talking to me about this of like, you know, are you going to remember the eighth show you did in, you know, Nebraska? Or are you going to remember the friend's wedding you made time to go to? You know, like what, because it's like, I just did five shows in Arizona. I remember the jokes I liked, but I'm already forgetting each night. You know, it's like everything becomes this grind and must get, must get. And you know, I'm trying to stop myself before I get in this weird cycle and be like, okay, my grandparents are really important. Keep talking to them every day. Don't worry so much about the shows. I don't know. Kind of, <laughs> kind of trying to just relax a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. I do want to ask you one more question. I hate to go back, backtrack. Sure. I'm happy to answer anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, you've actually informed us a lot, actually. It was really good. And I loved hearing your perspective on how you uh, came into this business. Just hearing that story about the guy saying, I don't like gay people. What the fuck kind of... <laughs> Like, what the fuck kind of prejudice is that? Like, I've never, like, why is that okay to say that publicly? <laughs> I don't know, but his wife, his wife, based off her haircut, really could use a gay friend or two. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's great. That is, no, but what, what, what I wanted to ask is, um, when you first started, was it more of, 
like I got to tell people who I am or was it kind of like I need to make funny jokes of who I am at first? Like, what was it? It was he was about making funny jokes. Right. And then I, then I was like, I have a responsibility and, and I had to figure out the right way to stand and, and do it the right way to make it relatable, I guess. Well, I come from a opera performing background. And so when I got on stage at first, it was really a spectacle of singing. I had this one joke. It was my favorite joke, but obviously I stopped doing it. I'd walk on stage. I'd say nothing. I would sing in my falsetto, um, Oh Mio Babino Caro. So I'd come up with, Oh Mio Babino Caro, Mi Piacendelo. And then everyone was like kind of awkward. And then I would say, that's a true story of how I came out to my dad. You know, and it would get like a big laugh. And I would do like Britney Spears impressions and Christina Aguilera impression. It was all kind of like trying to get people to notice me yeah. and stick out. And then slowly but surely, I gave a lot of that up. I mean, I still do impressions and stuff, but like, I think I sang like once this whole weekend, you know, now it's very much about the jokes. When I first came out, it was like, I liken it to this is how gay I am. I liken it to Mariah Carey's high note. Not necessary for her career. She has an incredible voice without it, right? Yeah. But with that super high note, that's what everybody talked about. And then they could listen to her music and realize, oh, this bitch is great. Right. So that's kind of the approach I took. I was like, I'm going to make a spectacle, blow everybody out of the water with my impressions and my singing, and then get the attention and then work on the jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I don't recommend. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of cool. That's how you first uh, started uh, your stand. It was more of a, it was kind of like uh, your musical talents first, right? Yes. I mean, I would do Christina Aguilera singing the alphabet. So, of course, it's like the letter A would go on forever to say, yeah! and then like 20 minutes later, like, B! you know, very like <laughs> basic, you know, jokes about singers and stuff, but. It kind of worked. I mean, you know, people definitely remembered me. Yeah, no, that's that's how, you know, that's how it is for us to try to, you know, we're just trying to see if it's funny. And then we start figuring out, okay, I need to start telling stories. Right, <laughs> right. Well, especially, too, Chicago's a great place to start. I'm, I'm born and raised in Chicago. So starting stand-up in Chicago, looking back, it's an incredible scene with incredible talent and great stage time. But Chicago versus New York is way more experimental. So you could go on stage and you could be as weird and as wacky as you wanted. And so there was really a whole spectrum of comics getting on stage. When I moved to New York, it was almost like everyone was in a, it felt like everyone was in a straitjacket. It was like joke, 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 joke. So I kind of blended the two and figured out I better write jokes quick. Open mics in New York are only two minutes long. You know, but also when I get a little more stage time, still have that sort of theatricalness to myself. So I, you know, people do pin me that, oh, you are a Chicago comic. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, New York is very jokes. It's about the jokes. They want yeah. jokes. That's cool, man. I'm glad uh, New York opened up. I'm glad uh, you're you're getting back on stage. And, uh, and Thanks, I, can't I am for, too. I can't wait for this hour, bro. It's going to be same <laughs> when I sell amazing. it, you'll be the first person I call. Let's go. Uh, let's go Lane, everybody. Uh, where, where can they see right now? Where are you going? Go to MateoLaneComedy.com for more ticket information, but I'll be in Wisconsin next month. I love it. And it's also Instagram Mateo Lane, correct? 
Yes, it's a lot of nudity in my drawing. So if you don't like either, <laughs> please don't follow. <laughs> I'm telling you guys right now, this is the this is the one. This one's uh, the next one. He's a uh, catch him before uh, you can't catch him anymore. He's so talented, oh, he's so funny, and I love him so much, man. And uh, I'm so happy you're on the podcast today, man. That was awesome. Thanks, thanks. I really appreciate you having me on. It means a lot to me. You're the man, Mateo. <laughs> Don't fake it, just bust a move. This joint is gonna get you in the mood. Star Bands Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.